Father, as we get into your word, I do pray that, Lord, you would just move in a mighty way. I pray, Lord, that as we look at John and, Lord, what was going on there in that first century, that we would understand that we're dealing with the same, same things in the 21st century. And that we would glean wisdom from your word, most of all about who you are. And that would cause us to fall more in love with you, cause us to be able to trust you and, and walk by faith. So open up our hearts to receive. Lord, I know we have the intellect and we need to have that, but it's gotta go from our heads to our hearts. And I ask for you to move here in our midst in a mighty way And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we begin here this morning, whenever I begin a new book, I like to do a a little bit of background. And I know some people like are not history people. Some people don't like background, don't like to do it. So you can go to sleep. We'll wake you up when we get into the study and get going. But hey, some background. And this is an interesting book because usually when you do something like one of Paul's writings, you can go into Acts, you can look when a church was planted, kind of have some idea of what was going on, and, and you have more of a, a, a complete picture. With this, it's a little bit mysterious, not sure, most people, exactly who John is writing to and exactly when he was writing. And then there's a big dilemma with some, did John even write this? And so I'm not going to get into great depth about a kind of higher criticism and why we can believe it's John. Just a, just a, a, a brief thing, why I believe John the Apostle wrote this. Because I believe John the Apostle wrote the book of John. And I believe he wrote the book of John because of, not because he put his name on it, but internal evidence. In the book of John, the only disciple never mentioned is John. And he always refers to him in a third person, which would indicate that he's writing it, he doesn't want to be recognized, and and he doesn't want to see it. So I believe it's the Apostle John. Now, who is this Apostle John? If you remember when Jesus called the 12, you had James and John, two brothers, hanging out together, fishermen. Jesus called them. And then they're interesting, you know, when you look at their lives, like, John and James, they're the ones who came to Jesus and said, hey, can one of us sit at your right hand? And one of us, you know, they wanted those positions of power, right? And even in one of the gospels, it said they got their mom to ask him. That always blows my mind. Like, mom, would you go talk to Jesus for me? So listen, and and Jesus said, you guys don't even know what you're asking, but you're gonna find out. And we have that episode and, you know, then a little later on, they, in Samaria, they want to call down fire on the people of Samaria. Remember, they're going, Jesus, just burn these people. They're, they're not nice and they're not good, so just call down fire. And Jesus goes, once again, you two, you don't know what you're talking about. You kind of get the idea that all of these guys weren't as perfect as sometimes we make them out to be. So a couple times now, Jesus has said, you two. You know, I think, it, I think when Jesus was with the 12, it was like moms and their children, right? Like, oh my gosh. And then Jesus named them the sons of thunder. But yet most people remember John as, what do they usually call him? The apostle of love, right? 
And they usually kind of, that, that's kind of how he's referred to. And you have that one picture where they're at the Last Supper and there he is and he leans against Jesus. He's really close to Jesus. And, you know, I, I like that because then I look at this one who is so close to Jesus and he's the one that eventually gets the revelation the book of Revelation. That's amazing when you think about that. And, you know, to me, that says stick close to Jesus and you never know what he's going to do in your life. So then at the end, at the cross, if you're doing a Bible reading, we just read through that. Hey, at the cross, Jesus tells John to take care of his mother. So that's the John we're looking at. So then, listen, then Jesus is crucified raises from the grave, and we don't hear a lot about John in the book of Acts. There's not a lot of stuff about him. And then we have some tradition about John that when they were persecuting the believers, that eventually they took John and they went to, to uh, uh, martyr him, and they put him in a pot of boiling oil, and it didn't kill him. I always love that story. I don't know if it's true or not, but I always get the picture of like he pops out and goes, huh, didn't work, you know, kind of type thing, right? And then, and then, so because they couldn't kill him, eventually one of the emperors exiled him to the island of Patmos so he would be isolated and, and not have anybody around him. And that's where Jesus gave him the book of Revelation. That's always, again, a mind blower, right? The world's trying to do something and God takes that very thing and turns it for good and makes it an amazing thing. Now, all of that to say, I believe he wrote this letter after all of that, he's out of exile, he's back. I believe, I believe he's in Ephesus. There is tradition and, and, and uh, some of the ancient writings do imply that he spent his final years in Ephesus. And he's an old guy by now. I think by the time he wrote this, he's probably in his 90s. And it was at the end, it was, listen, it's in between 90 and, and 100 AD. It's way after everything that he's writing this. So kind of interesting to think about. So here he is at the Ephesus. And we have the church of Ephesus. And John was given the revelation. Remember what Jesus said about the church of Ephesus, that they'd left their first love. And now you have John there, and there's some stuff going on. What sort of is interesting is that you're now at the point where you have second and third generation believers. It's no longer just those people who accepted the Lord right in the beginning in 30 or 40 AD. It's you're down the road. And these people, listen, these people now are being influenced by other things. You have all of this stuff. And, and, and I like to call it, they try and syncretize everything. They try and bring in a little bit of Judaism, a little bit of pagan a little bit of whatever, and they bring it in and they put it in a blender, and they go, well, this works pretty good. And so they're kind of starting to do that. And here's what blows my mind. John is saying, no way. We're not doing that. Not on my watch. Not as long as I'm alive. And I believe that's where this letter comes from. The interesting thing about John, have you ever noticed whether even you're reading the book of John or these letters of John, have you ever noticed how black and white he is, how contrast? Listen to this. Listen how he, he uh, seems to always bring things in stark contrast. He talks about light and darkness, life and death, love and hate, truth and falsehood. And then with people, he puts them in 
two categories, no third. You're in one or the other. He says you're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. You belong to the world or you do not belong to the world. You have life or you don't have life. You know God or you don't know him. Listen, he never was, he was never like, oh, it's okay, you're there. He was like, here it is, here's the truth. And something I've found, truth will always cause division, always, because you draw a line. When you bring truth, you draw a line and you say, here it is. If you're on that side, it's false. If you're on this side, it's true. So listen, that was John. So he's not like, when you think of the apostle of love, he's not this like gentle guy who, oh, I don't want to offend anybody. So let's all just get together and sing Kumbaya and have a, have a, a, a good time. No, John's going, hey, you're wrong. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite stories, I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I kind of... It's great for my imagination. When John got to Ephesus, he had been there for a while, and there was this guy hanging out in Ephesus. His name was Serenthus. And he was propagating uh, what was the beginning of Gnosticism. And his was more of the docetic form where, where he, he was teaching that uh, the spirit came upon Jesus and then left Jesus. So the spirit came upon him as he's doing ministry. Then when he went to the cross, the spirit left him. And he had all of this heresy going on and it was pretty bad. If you've been with us in Colossians, we're talking about you know the beginning of Gnosticism. And basically Gnosticism uh, was, uh, came about at, like the second, the end of second century. And all it is is these people People uh, would teach that if you get enlightened enough, if you get enough wisdom, you can be spiritual. And if you don't, too bad, so sad. So the haves and the have-nots. And they would have this special wisdom. And then they also believed that everything material was evil and everything spiritual was good, which, hey, they then use that to say, hey, it's okay if I do things in my body because you know what? It's the material part and the spiritual part's what God is concerned about. So it got real corrupt. So this guy, Serenthus, is really spreading this in, in Ephesus and, and he's a major player. And it's told that John went into a bathhouse and Serenthus was in there. And John comes running out and he's screaming at everybody, get out of the bathhouse, God is going to make it fall in on that heretic Serenthus. Is that cool or what? Listen, man, he, listen, he was, that's the kind of guy he was. He wasn't, he wasn't a middle-of-the-road guy. He wasn't saying, oh, you can believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe. He's saying, no, what you're believing is wrong, and what you're teaching is wrong. So all of that to come to, why did he write this? He wrote this because that heresy was beginning to spread in that church. Now, some people say, I'm not really sure this is even a letter, Maybe it was just a, 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 you know, a message you gave that somebody transcribed. I kind of think it's a letter, and the reason people don't think it's a letter, there's no introduction, right? Usually the old, you know, the New Testament writers, they go, you know, hey, Paul the apostle to the church at, and did it, and we have all those introductions. Nothing here. He jumps right in. And I think it's for this reason, because he is freaking out. He's freaking out over what's going on, and he wants people to understand something. Christianity is all about Jesus. 
And you cannot change that. You cannot, and you cannot change who Jesus is. You have to have the Jesus of the Bible, not just using that. So I think that's why he jumps right in. So let's jump in. If you went to sleep, wake up. We're here now, right? And let's jump in and begin to develop this. I want to read. The, we're going to do the first four verses. I want to read them and then come back and, and, and kind of unpack them. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your, or some translations say, our joy may be full. May be full. So listen, this is to me kind of the introduction, but it's not a normal introduction, right? John is stating, here's what's going on and here's what he sees. He sees people developing this idea of a different Jesus. They're making up their own Jesus. So he's gonna take them back to the basics. And you know what's kind of sad is sometimes we think we need to leave the basics. I've heard some people say at times, can't we just get beyond the cross? There's nothing beyond the cross. And so, listen what he's saying. Here he says, that which was from the beginning. Now, something that sort of blows my mind is I do a lot of studying. I read a lot of guys. I, I, I consider, when I'm reading with guys, I consider that fellowship. We're hanging out together. I'm trying to, you know, find out what they've learned. And, and they never ask me what I've learned. But I want to find out what they've learned, kind of, kind of gather some information and look at things. And the thing that blows my mind is how much here, just these first words, that which was from the beginning, how there's like, well, what beginning is he talking about? Is he talking about the beginning of the beginning? Or is he talking about the beginning before the beginning? Is he talking about the beginning of, and I'm going, I'm a simple guy. Listen, I don't have a real high education. I graduated from Bisbee High. Barely. But I made it. But anyway, listen, listen. I don't know why you can get so caught up. And I think, again, when you look at things in the Bible, look at context. Context is always important. And he says, listen, he says, that which was from the beginning, and then he calls that the word of life, and then he says that life was manifested, and then he says that life, eternal life, which was with the Father. What does all of that imply about the beginning? Here's what it implies to me about the beginning. He's talking about the beginning before the beginning. He's talking about the beginning like in Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, what was that talking about? I was talking about before anything was created. He's trying to make a point that this Jesus that he's going to present by the time he gets to the end of verse three was always in existence. The second person of the Trinity has always been. He became incarnate and 
if you will, receive the name Jesus at a point in time, but prior to that, he always existed. He existed as the second person of the Trinity, and he's always been, and, and I believe, John, listen, what is the heresy going on? Well, this person, Jesus, isn't really, you know, God. He's not really who they say he is, so he's saying, listen to me. That which was in the beginning. He's letting them know, listen, this one has always been, he's always existed from the beginning, and they need to get a hold of that. Also in John 1, 1, doesn't he say, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, right? He says that same thing. So, so you kind of follow suit, and that's, you know, that's something when you interpret the Bible. Read what that author says in other places. So his beginning is before the beginning that the beginning is talking about, right? So that's what he's letting us know. In other words, he's talking about Jesus who's always existed. And then here's what's amazing. Listen to what he says. He says, that which was from the beginning, now listen, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hearts have handled, or our hearts, our hands have handled. Wow. Do you understand what he's just trying to put across? It's not something John made up. What he's presenting to people is not just something that somebody else told him about. It's not somebody else's experience. Here's what he said. I was there. And again, it's interesting. The brilliant people say, what does he mean by we? Again, simple me. I go, duh. I think he meant him and the other 11, right? Who was hanging out with you? I mean, sometimes I wonder if these guys ever read the Bible. But what do you think he means by we? He's talking about them, right? The guys. And maybe even that closer circle, maybe he's even talking about him and James and Peter and how close they were. And they were the ones that were always with him. But do you notice he says, that which we heard with our ears then he says, that which we've seen with our eyes and that which we looked upon. And it almost is like he's repeating something, but he's really not. He's talking about seeing something like, I see you all. And then when he says looked upon, he's talking about after he saw, then he studied and got in depth with. So it's not just repeating something, but he will bring that up often, the whole part about seeing and being in his presence. So Here's, and then he says, and I touched him. Now, it's interesting, that word is like, physically like, mm, grabbing a hold of. It's not, it's not just like, boink. But as you think about it, I mean, I don't think the, you know, somebody said, well, we, you know, they were touching Jesus all the time. I don't think the disciples went around like, you know, as they're walking along, hey, <laughs> But when did they touch him? Do you remember? After he rose from the dead, remember what he said? Come on, come on guys, right here. Grab me and fill me because I'm flesh and blood. Ah. So John's letting them know, listen, this is not something I made up. This is not something that I just dreamt about. This is not just a vision I had. This is reality. And this is something that actually happened in a point in time, and you need to know that. 
and as he's writing to these people that they understand. It's interesting even as he talks about, as he talks about he's heard and he's seen, that verb tense is in one tense. It means like, like something happened and has a continuing action. And then the other two where he says we've looked upon and handled is like something that factually happened at a point in time. And I think it's that way on purpose so we understand what he's talking about is facts, not fiction, not something made up. It's facts. And then he says, he finally gets to it. He says all of that, and he says, concerning the word of life. Oh. Again, the smart people. What do you think he means by word of life? I'm thinking, I don't think that's very complicated. I've read the book of John. What does he say? I just quoted it. What does he say in John 1? In the beginning was the word. Oh, and here he says the word. Oh, you think he might be talking about Jesus? I think so. And then they say, but the word there, the word for word is logos, and that can mean so many different things. And, and I kind of understand that. But John, again, in John chapter 1, verse 1, he talks about it. Verse 14, he talks about it. Here he uses that word. And in Revelation, he's talking about it. And all of those relate to him talking about Jesus. Now, I know he's talking about Jesus because I read verse 3. But listen to what he's saying. He's saying, man, he was from the beginning, this word of life I've handled, I've heard, I've seen, I've studied, I was there. Now, why is this so emphatic? Well, because these other guys, hey, this Serenthus, he didn't hear, see, handle, touch, nothing. He just made it up. And that's kind of a challenge uh, for them. So John lays that out. And then I think verse 2 is more of a parenthetical thing because it seems like he almost repeats stuff as he goes through there. But I think it's parenthetical. He brought up the word of life, right? So now he's going to explain the word of life. Then he's going to get back to what he started in verse 1. So as he thinks about the word of life, look at verse 2. The life was manifested. Oh, oh. What does manifested mean? was made in front of us, right? It was brought before us. By the way, if you want to express your innermost thoughts and your heart, how do you do that? Words. How is God going to express himself to us? The word of life. Jesus is the greatest expression of God there is, right? So he says, listen, this life, this life I just brought up was manifested and we have seen and we bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. He was with the Father when? Forever. He's always been. And so now, listen, now he's getting into the heresy of the whole idea that can God become man? And I understand, that's complicated. How can a being be 100% human and 100% God? How does that work? And some of you are going, you don't know? No, I don't. I don't know how that works. You see, there's certain things about our God that we have to accept by faith. He gives us enough evidence to substantiate faith but never so much as to negate faith because we relate to him by faith, not by sight. And so how, how, how did all of that happen? 
Theologians have been spending since, you know, the birth of Christ till now trying to put it together. And they have all of these theories, the kenosis theory, and then they have doceticism, then they have gnosticism, and then they have this, and then they have that. And here's my conclusion. We will never figure that out. Why? Because we're not God. You see, there are things about God that we will never know because we're not God. We're trapped in humanity, and we live in time and space. Even when we get to heaven, some people say, well, when we get to heaven, we'll know everything God knows. No, that would make you God. And I hate to break it to you. You're not gonna be God. Just saying, you're still, listen, you're still gonna be human. You'll be a glorified human. You'll have greater understanding, but you're not gonna be God. You're still going to be, we're gonna spend eternity in awe and wonder and learning about him. Why? Because he's God, and he's outside of time and space, and he's not governed by what we're governed by. So how does this one who's eternal, who's been with the Father, how does he manifest himself? Well, according to the Bible, he gets in Mary's womb, and he's born as a baby. We're going to celebrate that in, in a few weeks. And then he grows up and lives a sinless life and dies on a cross. So here's what John's saying. I want to talk to you guys, but I want to talk to you guys about reality. We cannot, listen, we cannot deviate one, one bit from the reality of who Jesus Christ is. Once we change who he is, that changes everything. And that's where I get real dogmatic. When people say, well, can't Jesus be? And I go, no. If you're outside of the Bible. No, he can't be that. Well, why not? Because then you're messing with my salvation. You see, if Jesus isn't 100% man, he can't go to the cross for me. And he can't take care of my sin. If he's not 100% God, he cannot suffer the wrath of God that I deserve for all of eternity in a point in an instant of time. He's got to be both of those for me to be saved. And maybe you guys are good. I'm not that good. And I need Jesus to get to heaven. I desperately need him. So you mess with Jesus, you're messing with my salvation. And you mess with my salvation, I get a little bit uptight. And I feel a lot like John. Now, I get this picture when I, when I read this and I think about Serenthus. I get this picture of this elderly guy, right? He's got to be close to 90. And I don't know, you know, I don't know, if he, I, don't, I don't know if he's hunched over or not, but I get this picture kind of an older guy, kind of slender, nice robe, right? Not a robe as far as, oh, he's holy, but a robe as far as first century. That's what they would have been wearing. And, and, and I get him kind of walking along, and then I get this idea of here's this guy that whatever comes out of his mouth is phenomenal to listen to. It's wisdom. As a matter of fact, they said often they would bring him to a church as he was this older guy and they would ask him to share. Like if, if he showed up here today, we'd probably let him. John, could you guess speak for us? Right? Some of you are real happy. Some of you not. But listen, you and they would ask John to, to speak, and, and they say, again, this is tradition, but they said often he would just get up and say, my little children love one another, and then go sit down. And you think that's so simple, but that's so wise, right? That's so, you get that idea, so now listen, here's what he's saying here. 
you mess with Jesus, you're messing with my salvation. So he describes, listen, he describes, I was there in person handling, hearing, studying, and seeing this word of life. This word of life is God manifested in the flesh. That's what verse two is saying. It's God manifested in the flesh. He was manifested before us then. Now he gets back to verse three. He says, concerning the word of life, verse three, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. He finally, listen, the primary verb is in verse three. It's kind of, it's like, finally you're there, right? And he says, listen, this one, we declare to you, John was all about declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, that's why I'm still alive. I'm declaring this. I, I think he knew he was only alive at that point in time because that church in Ephesus was messed up. And so here I am, and I'm declaring truth to you, and I'm not going to back down. Usually, have you ever noticed, and it's kind of fun, as you get older, people argue with you less. The more white hair you get, the less they want to argue with you. It's kind of fun. It's like, oh, poor old guy. <laughs> some people think that. I think some people say, oh, there's a little bit of wisdom there. But some people think, oh, he's a little crazy, so we'll just let him ramble. But John, listen, man. He goes, we're going to declare. And notice again, he brought up that which we've seen and heard. He was there. He was part of it. So here's what he says. We declare to you why? That you also may have fellowship with us. Oh. What's the whole point? The whole point is fellowship. Now as we speak about that in the church today, usually we use that word and what's the first thing that comes to your mind about fellowship? Generally, it's another word that starts with F, food. Right, usually you think about, well, fellowship's about food. And it's kind of bad because that word has been so misused. Biblically speaking, fellowship has nothing to do with food. Fellowship has to do with an intimate sharing of a person with another person. And it's a closeness, it's we're sharing, we're sharing what we, not just material things that we have, we're sharing our hearts, we're sharing life, we're doing this together. Do you understand what John is saying? I'm declaring this to you, why? So we can have fellowship. You know what's implied in that? If you don't believe what I'm sharing with you, we can't have fellowship. We need to know that. In order to have fellowship, we all have to believe the same thing. We have to be on the same page. We have to have the truth. If we don't have the truth, we're not going to have fellowship. And I'm declaring this because I really want to have fellowship with you guys. Maybe he's even in a church. Maybe this is really a, a, a sermon he gave, and he's telling them all there. I want to have fellowship with you guys. I don't want, listen, I don't want to leave here the only one believing truth. I want everybody to believe. Now listen, he lays that out and I think, I think some of the people are going, oh yeah, John, we want fellowship with you. I mean, who wouldn't want a fellowship with John, the apostle of love, right? So then he goes a little bit more and he says, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Here's what he's saying. You want to have fellowship with me? Want to hang out with me? You want to get close with me? Then here's what you have to do. You got to get close with Jesus. You got to hang out with the Father and the Son. Now, here's, here's what I kind of like. John is such a tricky guy. 
Like he, verses one and two, he's talking about this word of life and kind of, kind of keeping it like a little bit mysterious. Even in the beginning of verse three, it's kind of there. But by the end of verse three, who does he bring up? For the, finally brings up who he's talking about, the son, Jesus Christ. Have you noticed in the gospel of John when he starts talking about Jesus, he spends 16 verses describing him and then finally in the 17th verse, he brings up Jesus. Because that's what John does. And here's what, here's what he's saying. Christianity is all about Jesus, period. And if you want to have fellowship with me, you got to be fellowshipping with him, which means you have to have a close, intimate relationship with him. You can't have a distant relationship. You can't make up your own Jesus. You have to, what does he say? Our fellowship is with, listen, the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Hey, Serenthus, you are absolutely wrong about what you believe. And therefore, we can't have fellowship and the bathhouse is going to cave in on you. Would to God that as Christians in the 21st century, we would be a little stronger about Jesus and who he is. Not, listen, and I'm not telling you to be antagonistic and mean and, and stuff, but I'm telling you, stand firm. Stand firm about who Jesus is. I think it's important. Sometimes, sometimes I'm accused as the leader of this fellowship of being a little bit isolated. But let me tell you something. I'm not going to get involved with a group that is involved with something that they're not having fellowship with Jesus as a church. I'm not going to do that. Hey, I'll get, I'll get involved with people and share with people the truth, and I might get involved with them so I can share the truth, but listen carefully. I don't have fellowship with them. I have fellowship with you guys. And I believe, as we fellowship, that our, our connection is stronger than any other connection there is. There's oftentimes, I feel a lot closer to this body of believers than I do to my physical family. Why? Because we have something in common, Jesus Christ. And we have, and that's a bonding that goes deep and hard. And that's what John's talking about. He says, that's what this is all about. Now, as we fellowship and as we do that, then he says, verse four, and these things we write to you that your or our joy may be fulfilled, depending on which translation you have, whether it's your joy may be full or our joy may be full. And again, hence the big argument. One manuscript, one, one line of manuscripts has your, another line of manuscripts has our, and people goes, which one is it? And here's what I say. They go, is it your or our? And I go, yes. Because, I mean, once again, hey, if they come to and to that place of believing and, and enjoying the Lord, Hey, that's gonna make that's gonna make John's joyful. But at the same time, it's gonna make their joyful because they're fellowshipping with the Lord. So I think maybe it's mixed up like that so you could understand. It's both. And you want your joy to be full? Listen, and joy, biblical joy is not just happy. Happy's an emotion. 
Biblical joy is deep-seated in spite of circumstances, in spite of what's going on. You have that joy. You want to experience that? There's only one way. You got to be close with Jesus. And close with Jesus means this. You got to have fellowship with him. And you got to share. And you got to be intimate and close. You got to let Jesus know everything about you. You got to have him come in and, and be part of you. And the same, you've got to become part of him. Why do we stress reading through the Bible every year? Because we want to sell more Bibles? Why do we stress that? Because that's how you're going to know God. He's revealed himself in his word. And as you read his word, you're going to get, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have fellowship with him. Just like I talk about, I get the commentaries. I have fellowship with those guys. Some of them not so much because they, they're whacked out. But most of them, well, when I read my Bible, I have fellowship with God. Because he's beginning to reveal himself to me intimately and closely. So, what do we draw from John chapter one, one through four? Christianity is all about Jesus. And don't let people mess with that. Stand firm. And if you run into a Sorrentus, just let them know that things are about to cave in on them. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I thank you that we have this little, to me, kind of an intro into, into this book. But greater than that, God, we can see your heart and we can see your heart expressed through this man. This man who's towards the end of his life, was adamant about who you are. And Lord, if you're not who you say you are, then there's no way you could do what you say you did. And I thank you. I thank you for the expression of John. I thank you for the stand he takes. And Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters that this would encourage us to be a little more bold about our relationship with you. We shouldn't have to hide it. We shouldn't have to be shrink back and be uh, uh, timid about it. But give us the boldness of John to declare that we have been in this deep abiding relationship with you. And we have an understanding of who you are because you've revealed yourself in scripture to us. And let us take that, that walk, just as John said, he's handled and, and, and touched and seen. Lord, we get to experience that through him. And I thank you for that. God, if we need to, this morning, just kind of change our views so we can have that joy, work in our hearts. Give us that gift of repentance right now. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in the attitude of prayer for just a couple more minutes. And if you are here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, you've never asked him to come into your life, to be part of what you're doing and guiding you to have that fellowship, then you know what, today's the day to do it. And I don't care how long you've come to this church. Maybe you come here for a long time and today you're realizing, I've never really done that. I've just been religious. Today is the day to change that. 
Call on the name of the Lord. Let him know that you want that relationship. And it all begins with this one thing, coming, coming clean with God. You got to admit to God that you know you're a sinner. I think all of us know we're sinners, but we may not want to admit it, and we may not especially want to admit it to God. But it's okay. You can tell God you're a sinner, then ask him to forgive your sins, and he will forgive your sins because he died on the cross to take your sin. That's why he came. That's why he was born, that infant in a manger. And he came, and he lived that sinless life, and then he went to the cross and paid what you owed and what I owed. Not just physical death, but he took the wrath of God we deserve. So if you want that gift of salvation today, say this prayer with me. You can say it out loud or you can say it silently. It's not volume that saves you. It's the sincerity of your heart. You gotta be sincere about it. If you're backslidden, come home. Come back to Jesus. Today is the day to just call on his name and let him know you wanna come back. If you're watching online, you can say this prayer right where you're at. And, and uh, uh, God, listen, you don't have to be in this building. Say this prayer. The Lord will hear you and you will be saved. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry, God, that I sinned against you. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, Thank you for dying for me. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And now I want you to come into my heart and I want you to change me. I want you to come into my life and guide me. Today, I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior.